You see, the problem is we think we understand the heart of God and we pray it the way we want it rather than praying it the way God wants it. Intercession is the birthplace of heaven. We birth so many things out of intercession. And what we got to do is we got to say, God, what do you want me to be praying about now? Because when he says to where you pray something, you can look for it to happen. Today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason wraps up the series on the prophetic history of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and its four banner themes. The theme of today's sermon is intercession and how it continues to impact our lives today. Amen. How many of you are glad you came this morning? I'm beginning to get a little paranoid. The last two or three meetings I've been in, people have been circled around me and praying for me. I don't know what all is going on, but uh, God's got me covered, and, and I'm excited about it. I'm going to finish up. I hope I'm going to finish up today in talking about the prophetic history of Southside Christian Fellowship, and I'm going to explain to you why I have done what I have done. And then we're going to na- next week we're going to talk about pulling down strongholds. How many of you think we need to pull down strongholds? Amen. We're going to talk about pulling down strongholds. And before we leave here, we're going to pull some strongholds down. About 30 years ago, I went to a conference. Didn't go to a conference. I went to a meeting with Don Pye, and I heard a man named Mike Bickle. And when I heard Mike Bickle for the first time, he had a relationship with Jesus like I had never seen. He talked like Jesus was his best friend. And you know he had had that experience because if he hadn't had that experience, he couldn't talk about Jesus like that. And, and I was jealous. I'll just be real honest with you. I was jealous over that relationship that Bickle had. And not jealous that I wanted his relationship. I wanted my own relationship. Some of what, uh, what was read this morning out of the Song of Solomon uh, about the, the, the kisses of his lips and, and uh, he loves you. And who is this coming up out of the wilderness? There's so much that comes out of that. And I'm going... God, I, I don't have that kind of relationship with you. When I, when I first came into ministry, I, I looked at worship and things like that, and I thought, well, that's just the plow in the ground so that you can preach the word. And I didn't understand how a relationship with Jesus Christ worked, and, and I, but I saw something in this man, Mike Bickle, that I, that I uh, love. And little did I know how much influence he was going to have over my life. Now, I don't know Mike Bickle. I'll just tell you straight up. I've never had a sit down with a man. I've never met the man. I've, min- I've ministered with several of the people from his uh, ministry, and I have learned an awful lot from him, but, but I, we didn't do anything. Then it was several years later, still with Don, two or three years later, Daddy and myself uh, and uh, Buddy Evans, we drove to Kansas City. Wait just a second. I got kids going. I got kids going out the door. Let's go find out where kids are going. Because I don't have anybody over there to take care of them. Thank you. I'm sorry. We went to Kansas City. And in Kansas City, we went to see the Kansas City Prophets. Now, I was looking for guys in western suits with long trench coats and guns on. I didn't know what they were going to be like. And instead, the first guy that comes out there is John Wimber. And John Wimber comes out with a Hawaiian shirt and shorts on and starts to minister the word. And I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. But I want you to know there was an anointing on John that was amazing. 
And little did I know then either how much John was going to influence my life and my ministry and how much I enjoyed what this man was doing. He was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And within just a few years, they had 600 churches worldwide. God had blessed him so much. Mike Bickle was the host. He was the pastor of the church that it was being held at. And we began to kind of connect with Mike Bickle again in his in his uh, in his uh, his ministry. And so after we after we go there, we don't. I don't think much about Mike, and I'm preaching, and and uh, I take over the church, and I don't know don't know everything I'm going to do, and so I'm seeking the Lord for direction. And Buddy Sheets comes to me, and Buddy said, "Let's go to." Uh, Kansas City and meet with Mike Bickle. They're starting an internship on the house of prayer. Now at that time, IHOP was meeting in a trailer. And there wasn't, wasn't probably 25 people that were meeting there. They had about 100 on staff, which meant they had that many people that were doing worship around the clock. And so Buddy and I went out there and we sat through the first class and I got real excited about what was going on. And I began to, inter- to see something about intercession. Now, I always used to make this statement, I am not called to intercession. If you've ever made that statement, raise your hand. It's okay, you can be honest. I'm not going to shame you. I was not called to intercession. You do know liars go to hell, don't you? Okay. I was not called to intercession. And then when I left there, I thought, oh my goodness. Everybody I know is called to intercession. The great intercessor was Jesus himself. And so we went out there and we came back and we looked at the model of how they were doing that. And we started on Friday nights and we would go four, I think four to six hours on Friday nights. And we did that for nine straight years. We had that form of intercession. The, uh, uh, they called it harp and bowl, and I'm not going to get into the whole lengthy discussion of why they called it that, but there was worship and prayer that went on like that for nine years. And then we began to, we began to move in, uh, in our life. We began to move in uh, Monday and Wednesday prayer, and, and then we would have periods of time, weeks, months, and days when we would have prayer set aside and fasting set aside. And so prayer became an integral part of the ministry itself. And we began to learn more and more and more. Now, Bickle had a, a very interesting understanding of, inter, of intercession. When you talk to Bickle, he would make this statement. Intercession is telling God what he told you to tell him. I thought, well, that's about the dumbest thing I ever heard. Tell God what he told you to tell him? That's intercession? Okay. Afterwards, I began to realize what he was saying was that through listening and hearing the heart of God, you're going to have the heart of God, and when you pray, you're going to be praying the heart of God. How many of you want to pray the heart of God? You see, the problem is we think we understand the heart of God, and we pray it the way we want it rather than praying it the way God wants it. And so when we pray it the way we want it, then we are praying in, 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 in against what God has declared will happen on the earth. And then he carried me to some scriptures and began to point this out to me. He said in 1 Kings 18.1, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah, then the third year saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now how many of you know if God says it's going to rain, you might as well get your umbrella out. 
All right. Matter of fact, that's what my daddy told me one time about faith. He said, if you pray for rain and don't take your umbrella with you, you are not praying in faith. Amen. Okay, so God tells him, it's been a space of almost three, three and a half years, and it hadn't rained, and he said, go tell Ahab, it's going to rain. And so we go on and we have this encounter with Baal and different things happen, and finally, finally, Elijah gets to Ahab. And Elijah says to Ahab in 1 Kings 18.41, go up, eat and drink, for, is, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. I like the way King James says it, the abundance of rain. I like that idea, the sound. What is the sound of, of rain? You know, you can just look outside and you can almost tell it's going to rain, don't you? I can just about point my car to the golf course and tell you it's going to rain or carry it to the car wash and I can predict rain. I'm better than the weather people are about that stuff. But anyway, he says, I hear rain. Where did he hear the abundance of the rain? In his spirit. See, it wasn't thundering and it wasn't lightning and the clouds weren't turning gray. Well, Eddie, how do you know? Because I'm going to finish reading the scripture to you. There was no evidence that it was going to rain except that God said, it's time and it's going to rain. Now, in the interim, Elijah had this conversation with God and he said, God, if I go do that, he's going to kill me. And he got to where he wasn't so afraid of Ahab, but he was definitely afraid of Jezebel. And he took off running. But look what he says. He says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Oh, my. Wait now. Why would he do that? He began to pray what God had told him was about to happen. I've read many commentaries about this scripture, and many of them say that he actually got in the birthing position. And so out of his faith and out of the word of the Lord, he was going to birth rain on the earth. Now look what happens. Look what he does. He's praying. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And when he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. Turn to your neighbor and say, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down, lest the rain stop you. He just had that little bit of evidence. Seven times he went. And what did he pray? He prayed what God said. God said, it's going to pray. It's going to rain. And, and, and Elijah goes and he says, Lord, you said it's going to rain. Send the rain. He sends his servant. He doesn't see any rain cloud. He comes back. He prays again. Lord, send the rain. He goes back. He prays again seven times. He goes back and forth until he begins to see the evidence. What was birthed out of him was manifested in a cloud. Oh, you're not getting it. Come on. Come on, what God's spoken to you, if you're not praying it, if you're not praying it, you're not going to manifest it. 
Okay? God will manifest it when you believe it. God will manifest it when you pray it. God will manifest it when you move on it. Ahab had to, I mean, Elijah had to go tell Ahab before there was any evidence of rain. He said, I hear in my spirit the abundance of rain. I hear it raining inside of me. And I'm telling you, God said it's going to rain. And then he went to his place of prayer, and he began to birth that in the place of intercession. Intercession is the birthplace of heaven. Now, how many of you want to be intercessors? We birth things out of intercession. We birth so many things out of intercession. And what we got to do is we got to say, God, what do you want me to be praying about now? Because when he says to you pray something, you can look for it to happen. You can absolutely expect those things to happen. One day, I'm sitting in my office at the old church at 750, and the Lord says, you okay? Okay. And the Lord says to me, he says, I want you to pray for Europe. Now, how many of you have ever prayed for Europe? Well, at least y'all are consistent. Most of you don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever prayed? Let me see if we can get a hand raised on that. There you go. Much better. Okay, God tells me to pray for Europe. And then the Holy Spirit comes to me and he says, I want you to understand that I sent, I sent Martin Luther to explain. To, to my name all over Europe. The churches that are dead right now is where the church was birthed out of Asia and out of Europe. And he said, it's dead as a doornail right now and I want a moving of my spirit in Europe. For a little over two years, every time I prayed, God put on my heart to pray for Europe. At the end of two years, you know what? I read there's revival taking place in Europe. You know why? Because I prayed. Y'all laugh. I'm telling you the truth. I believe it within me. Why? Because God had me doing it. And he didn't have me doing something that was just futile. He didn't have me doing something. That, now, there may be other people praying. I have no idea. I can't tell you because nobody has ever come up to me except Joni and said they were praying for Europe. And Joni and I would pray for Europe together, and we began to release over Europe the Spirit. And guess what? It began to break out. We helped sponsor a missionary to France. And when he went to France, he came back and he was so dis uh, disheartened because of the lack of understanding that was going over there. And he said, we would sing songs like, like uh, he said, we began to sing songs about God, you're the greatest to me. And he couldn't get ever, ever to sing them. And they said, why? He said, could we be lying to God? Because God's not the greatest to us. He said, we can't get them to move. We can't get them to, to listen to Jesus Christ. And after two, two and a half years of praying, all of a sudden there's revival breaking out in these same places. Come on. Come on. It's birth out of intercession. Now, Eddie, what good did praying for Europe do you? I got treasures in heaven, folks. I got stuff in heaven because I did what God told me to do. Now, I'm not bragging on me, but I just want you to understand the depth of it. See, if you don't put any power and any significance on your prayer, why would God do it? If God's told you to pray for something, he's given you a word, and you walk away and say, that's a good word, and then you do this. Well, we're going to see if that comes to pass. We're going to see if God really does bless me. Until he blesses me, I'm going to keep using my credit cards. Until he blesses me, I'm just going to keep bailing myself out just the way I used to. He said he was going to pour out on me financially, but he hadn't done it yet. 
We'll see. <laughs> God told you he was going to do something to you, for you. You need to pray it until it's birthed. You need to begin to release it. Because let me tell you, if you can't pray it, you don't believe it. And wishes are not faith. Okay? And so we want to move in greater faith. Aren't you glad you came this morning? I mean, he wants us to move in greater faith. And, and you know, and God has just put it on my heart so strong. Even before we went out to IHOP, he put it on my heart so strong. Isaiah 56, 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. I mean, you know prayer is supposed to be joyful. Joyful uh, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altars, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides the those already gathered. Hallelujah, that's us. He said, I'm going to gather together a people that will be called a house of prayer. Turn to your neighbor and say, you a house of prayer. We were in our 11, 12-year-old meeting Wednesday night, and I won't say who, but one of the kids, one of the boys was swinging on the baby beds, and he was crawling up the the wall with his feet. And I hollered at him. I said, did your mama let you do that at your house? Got down sheepishly looked at me and said, no, sir. I said, well, don't do it in my house. And Daniel, where's Daniel? Daniel looked at me and said, this ain't your house. It's God's house. I said, I said, uh-uh, I'm God's house. It's just a building. Don't walk on my, walk on my walls, okay? <laughs> Amen. Besides that, you little rascal, I'm going to take your head. I'm going to snip it right off of your head. <laughs> Amen. We had, I had a good time with him. He only had one baseball thrown over the wall. But anyway, I'm God's house. I'm God's building. I'm God's land. I'm the one that's going to produce the fruit that God plants inside of me. I'm the one that's going to structure, be the structure of the place of the house of prayer. I am who God called me to be. You understand what I'm saying? Put your hand right here and say, I am. God's dwelling place. The Holy Spirit abides right in me. Hallelujah. Come on. Do you believe it? Do you believe? Come on, give God praise. Yeah, just give God praise. I didn't bring a watch today, so amen. Matthew 12, 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. How many of you know if God said it's going to be that, that's what it's going to be? You can call it whatever you want to. You can put any name on the board you want to put on it. God said my house is going to be a house of prayer. It got inside my gut so strong, and yeah, that's a good old southern word. He got in my heart so strong for I, I relentlessly preached on the corner about becoming a house of prayer. Again, this is before I knew about IHOP. I didn't know what all that was. I just knew God said I needed a prayer. Pray. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't a real enthusiastic prayer person at that time. I'm just being honest with you. As a matter of fact, I started praying with Gary Hippolyte, and I thought, man, will you ever shut up? <laughs> I 
Herman took him as a, as a prayer partner one time, and he called him at 5 o'clock in the morning. At 7 o'clock, he'd have to say, Gary, I got to go. I got to go to school. And Gary knew something about prayer. I didn't know anything about prayer. My prayers were three to four minutes. Man, we'll pray on the way to work. We'll pray at home. But, but that hour, hour and a half stuff, man, you got to be kidding me. I can't pray for an hour. Herman called me the other day. I'm going to tell on him now. We, 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 we pray. Well, we preach pray on Mondays. We really pray on Wednesdays, okay? We, we preached each other on Mondays a little bit. But on Wednesdays, we really pray. And uh, so when Herman first started that thing, about 10 minutes into it, he wore out. He couldn't stand it. I got to go. I got my bubble gum machine working here. I got to go. He's like a three-year-old. Man, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go get me a drink of water. I got to fix coffee. He called me the other day. He said, you know something? He said, the more we do this, the better I like it and the more comfortable I'm getting in it. I said, how about that? Don't act like you stole holy. <laughs> it, takes, it takes stopping and sitting in his presence and experiencing what he is saying in order to move in what God is saying. How are you going to pray what God has said if you haven't heard what God has said? Am I making sense to you? And sometimes we got to settle down. I've told people for a long time, it takes me 20 to 30 minutes to cut off everything on the outside. What do you mean? I'm thinking about everything I got to do during the day. I got 93 things. Kirk Bennett taught us a trick. He said, write them down. My daddy been telling me to get a yellow pad for years and years and years. And I oh, daddy, that's just you. But when the Holy Spirit says get a yellow pad, you go, gosh, daddy, you were right. <laughs> Write it down. Quit worrying about it. Quit thinking about it. It ain't going to change anything. Settle down until you can break through. Most people I know, it's like somebody saying, you know, if you run for so long, you get to a runner's high. How many of you have ever experienced a runner's high? I never have. <laughs> And at this point in time in my life, I probably never will. If, it, if I do, the adrenaline will be rushing because somebody will be chasing me at that point in time. <laughs> but I have broken through in the Spirit. And I have sat in His presence and not wanted to move. And don't you dare open my door. Don't you dare break that connection. Because... When the Holy Spirit moves, it's better than anything on the earth. I'm just telling you. That's what intercession is. It's getting alone with God. We could do it together and we do it together. But it's doing what he says do. It's becoming a house of prayer. It's the name that he gave you. It's the identity that he gave you. We're talking about, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. Well, duh, read the book. You're the house of God. You're a house of prayer. You're God's field. I, I just go over it and over it and over and over again. Yeah, but I don't know how to do that. Well, go to one of these poems that bloom where you planted. All you got to do is just let God just begin to take over your day, and you'll begin to find out you've got an identity that you haven't scratched the surface of yet. 
Let me go on because that's not where I wanted to go to. So we get involved with this. We start preaching this thing. And a guy named Stephen Hugan, Dr. Hugan, he's our praise and worship leader. And he decides to go out to Kansas City, Missouri. Him and several guys. And I don't even remember now who all went. But they all went to Kansas City. And Stephen came home. And he said, God called me while I was in Kansas City. I said, he called you what? He said, he called me to come out there and spend a year in an internship. He said, what do you think? What do I think? I think you've got a wife and you've got a children. You've got a home in Eagles Landing. You've got a veterinary clinic on, on Highway 138. What do I think? I think you all do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, Stephen. That's what I think. And then Angie came. And she said, do I have to sell my house? I said, no, you don't have to sell your house. She said, but if God tells me to, I said, God tells you to, you better sell your house. Next thing I know, Stephen has quit his practice. He and Angie have sold their house, and they have moved to Kansas City. He spends a year internship here, and the plan was when you come back, you'll come back to church, and you'll help breed that in our church. But he didn't do that. Holy Spirit had other ideas. And he's still on staff at IHOP Atlanta. Been there for years and years and years at a great cost. At great cost. And we won't go into all that. The idea here is that prayer became much greater than anything. Why is intercession so important? What time is it? I'm good. Ezekiel 22:30. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their head, declares the Lord God. Mm. King James says, I look for a man to stand in the gap. And having found none, God said, I had no choice but to release my judgment over a nation. How important do you think intercession is? How much on the, on the, the, the crisp of judgment do you think this nation is? See, you can't intercede till you get outside yourself. This is not about you. It's about God and what he wants to do in the earth. Moses goes up on Mount, I mean, goes up on Mount Sinai. God hews out the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down, and he is so mad, he can't stand it. You know why? There's an orgy going on. And they're building golden calves and all this other stuff. He gets mad and throws and breaks the tablets of God. He goes back to God. He repents and goes back up the mountain to God. And God said, I etched them the first time. You're going to etch them this time. 
He said, but actually, you don't have to worry about it because I'm just going to kill every one of those people. And Moses, you and I will just start over. If God had made that proposition to me, and I had gone through what Moses went through to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, and I had gone through all that groaning and moaning and complaining and griping and whatever other word you want to use for it, and then God came to me and said, listen, it could just be you and me. I'd say, God, that sounds like a plan to me. Let's just start this thing over. Them people down there, they're incorrigible. They will never get this straight. But that's not what Moses does. He said, God, you can't do that. Can you imagine the audacity of a man telling God he can't do something? And basically what he says is, God, that will shame your name all over the earth. Now this is the key here. God knew that Moses just wasn't blowing smoke. He wasn't telling God what he wanted to hear. He had a deep concern about God's name. His name was more important than anything in Moses' life, and he didn't want to see that name besmirched by anyone. And so he began to intercede for the very people that had rejected him, had cursed him, had done all manner of evil against him. He began to intercede, and God makes this statement. Go back and read it if you don't believe me. Moses, what are you doing to me? God said, I looked for a man to stand in the gap. Having found them, I had no right but to bring judgment. I had no other alternative. Now, how many of you know God found a man to stand in the gap for you and me? His name is Jesus. Whew. Aren't you glad? You know what that means? We don't have to go through that kind of judgment. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to go through wrath. We don't have to be exposed to any of that because Jesus stood in the gap for each of us. Now, God's saying, will you stand in the gap? Will you stand in the gap? Will you be the man or the woman that will stand in the gap for a people? Will you be the, the man or the woman that looks at this nation and rather than, rather than bringing your judgmental attitudes against them, will you listen and pray and say, God, what is your plan? One last story, and I'll bring it to a conclusion. N not the story, but the conclusion will come after the story. I'm sitting in my house. I'm 22, 23 years old. And they bomb a gay nightclub in Atlanta. And my response was, all right. Don't be so dang judgmental. And God said to me, he said, why are you doing that? I said, because you said that was an abomination unto you, God. He said, I never called you to be their judge. I said, what? He said, all I ever did was call you to love people. You're not their judge. And boy, I'm going to tell you what I felt about that big. And God said, don't ever do that again. You don't ever stand in the place of judgment. If I've called you to do anything, I've called you to intercede 
for the people that are, have a life struggle because they've lost contact with their true identity and they don't know what's going on. Kind of awfully quiet in here. We do too much condemning and too little praying. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why do you want me to review some of our prophetic history? And I know that he wanted to reintroduce the foundation of the church, that we might under, better understand the destiny of this church. We find our identity in Christ, and we find the expression of that identity in doing the things that he has commanded us to do. You see, we don't do things like other people do. That's neither good nor bad. It's just the way God did us. He gave us four things to do. He said, be a house of prayer. Be intercessors. He said, be a, a hospital, a house of compassion. He said, be a safe place for the prophetic to grow. Be a house of prophecy. Be a house of worship, unashamedly lifting up the name of Jesus before everyone. He said, those are the four things I want you as a church to do. And out of that, your destiny will be fulfilled. Come on. When the God gave them to me to start off with, I said, whoo, we're not going to be able to see all the people. We're not going to be able to bring them in here. The Holy Spirit's going to move. And, man, there's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that will show up. I didn't know that when the Holy Spirit moved, people would run. <laughs> I thought, what's wrong with him? I, ha I have emails where I was sent that said, I never felt the Holy Spirit like that, but I won't ever be back again. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> I, had, I had people show up at a meeting one time, and they said, what was that? I said, what do you mean? What was that? He said, man, there's just something that was just, there was just like this presence. I said, that's God. Well, I've been to church all my life, and I've never experienced that. And I said, well, I am so sorry. I hate that. You, you know, demons start manifesting. People say, why do they don't do that in the Baptist church? I said, I don't know, but you've got plenty of them in there. I said, it doesn't matter. I've called you. I've called you to do four things, and I want you to do those four things. And he's told the men in this church, men, I want you to lead. Amen. Thank you, Dale. The rest of the men were silent, but anyway. He said, men, I want you to lead in worship. Well, that's a woman thing. I want you to lead in intercession. Well, I'm not called to be an intercession. Intercessor. Well, then tell Jesus, because he thinks you are. Be a hospital. I, I, I can't take all those emotions. Again, tell Jesus, because he's heard you cry your eyes out at night, man. You, you, you're just as filled with emotions as everybody else. You just stuff them down, act like they don't work. He's telling us men, he's saying, lead in the prophetic Go back. He said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Daughters was a whole new category. There were a few female prophets in the Old Testament, but most of them were men. Today, most of the prophetic is in the women and very few men. That's crazy. Are we going to do what God called us to do or not? Because I'm telling you, if we'll do what God called us to do, we'll burst stuff all over the earth. I don't care, I don't care if we don't get but two or three here. It doesn't make any difference. That two or three are going to do what God told them to do. And when they do what God told them to do, there's going to be things happening all over the earth. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons with Pastor Eddie Mason, Senior Pastor at Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, 
a place of hope. We welcome you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would also like to bless you with a Father's Prayer from Papa Herman, an elder at Southside Christian Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless and keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.